John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas the high priest was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John said, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. This is the word of God. Well, today's passage is a continuation of last week's healing miracle in Acts 3, where Peter and John, on their way to the temple for prayer, come across a lame man. Thank you so much to Matt uh, for preaching last Sunday. If you happen to miss Matt's sermon last Sunday or any Sunday, our sermons are available for you to listen to online, so I encourage you to catch up if you haven't already. The man had been born lame and his life had been reduced to that of begging. As per usual, as Peter and John walked past, he did what he had been reduced to doing, and that was simply asking for money. And Peter and John had no money, but ultimately they knew that money was not what this man needed. What he needed was Jesus, and that is what they had. They knew that it was only Jesus who could transform this man's dire situation. Well, many of you know the story. Uh, Peter heals the man in Jesus' name. He rises to his feet, leaps and prays and gives glory to God for this wondrous miracle. Now, naturally, this dramatic healing, along with the man's enthusiasm, draws a great crowd. And subsequently, Peter begins to preach 
explaining the gospel of Jesus Christ. His message is clear, convicting, and compelling. And we read that another 2,000 men, it's not including women and children, but another 2,000 men were added to the church's number that day. After this, they all enjoyed a delicious potluck lunch and gave thanks to God for all the wonderful miracles that he was doing. If only. A lame man of 40 years had been healed. The gospel had been preached. God is seen to be alive, performing miracles through his chosen servants, and thousands have come to faith. How could this good news not result in a happy ending? Well, it was not good news for those who were in power, especially given that those in power were the very ones who not that long ago had condemned and rejected Jesus the Messiah. It was not good news if you were in charge of the central institution that administered God's law, God's justice, and the life of God's people. This was not good news if you felt threatened that this new movement was trying to upstage you, trying to diminish your power and influence, and trying to take over. This moment in Acts 4 signals the conclusion of the early church's honeymoon period. Acts 4 records the first of many imprisonments because of the gospel being proclaimed. Persecution will now be the environment in which the church functions and consequently flourishes. The religious leaders were disturbed and disgruntled about what the apostles were preaching, in particular about resurrection of the dead in Jesus. They seized Peter and John and had them put in jail until the next day when they could bring charges against them before a council. Not all that long ago, Jesus himself had also stood trial at the Sanhedrin. The religious leaders had assumed that the Jesus situation had been taken care of, but nothing could be further from the truth. The Jesus movement was only growing with increased momentum. What were they to do next? As we see in today's text, they didn't know what to do. They can't deny the miracle standing right before them, and with the added pressure of thousands of new converts praising God, the momentum and community favour at this point rests with the apostles. So, after some deliberation, the religious leaders accepted the fact that they couldn't do anything to take any sort of formal action. So, they sternly command the apostles not to teach in the name of Jesus. But such a request is met with bold rejection. We cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard was the forthcoming response. This is both an exciting 
and a dangerous time in the young church's life. Exciting in that miracles and conversions were occurring at rapid speed. Dangerous in that persecution and oppression were on the rise. Standing for Jesus will be met with great oppression, including imprisonment and even martyrdom. What does this text have to say to us today? Allow me to share some observations I've made. You will notice that the healing miracle is what gave rise to Peter's opportunity to preach the gospel in the first place. We can never disconnect good works from good words. Not always, but oftentimes, it is our good deeds that pave the way for our good words. This story challenges us to consider what deeds we are doing that bring healing, that bring the healing ministry of Jesus to those who are broken, hurting, and marginalized. Any ministry that seeks to bring healing, wholeness, health, restoration, and hope to the least of these whether locally, nationally, or globally, is incredibly close to the heart of God and therefore it ought to be close to our hearts as well. Peter's response to the accusations brought against him was to declare the crucified and risen Jesus as Messiah in whom salvation alone is found. Peter's message was clear. It was all about Jesus. We too need to be clear about what the gospel message is. The gospel is the message about the historical life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In Christ, forgiveness of sins is found. New life is offered Eternal life is guaranteed. Peter leaves no room for uncertainty here. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven other than Jesus Christ by which men and women, boys and girls, can be saved. Jesus, the rejected stone, is the very cornerstone of the Christian faith. The gospel Peter preaches is uncluttered and to the point. It's all about Jesus, his centrality, and people's need to respond to him. Peter preaches not in his own wisdom or strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has been filled, anointed, if you will, with the Holy Spirit for this very task. Jesus had spoken to his disciples about this very situation. In Matthew 10, 18 to 20, we read these words of Christ. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
Jesus' promise is coming true. The Holy Spirit has clearly come upon Peter and anointed him to speak with clarity and boldness. Jesus' words apply just as much to us today as they did to Peter back then. The same Holy Spirit that filled Peter and inspired him to preach the gospel is the same Holy Spirit that dwells within you and I. And if we are prepared to share our faith with others, be it in a hostile or in a relational environment, we can trust that the Holy Spirit will give us the right words to speak. It doesn't matter whether we think they're the right words to speak or not, because ultimately it's not our words, is it? It's the Holy Spirit's words that we want to come forth. Persecution for and opposition towards the gospel is normal for the Christian. Peter and John don't seem at all alarmed by the fact that they were held overnight to be brought before the Sanhedrin the next day. We don't see them complaining for their own human rights. Conversely, they saw it as another opportunity to share the good news about Jesus and all that he had done and was continuing to do. We should not be alarmed when we likewise are persecuted or opposed for the sake of the gospel. In fact, we ought to expect it. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus himself said in John 15.20, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. The truth of God is confronting. The truth of God does not invoke a passive response in its hearers. Some will vehemently oppose it. Others will deny or ignore it. But thanks be to God, some will respond positively to it. It's not for us to judge or determine how people will respond to the gospel. This account in Acts 4 and much of the book of Acts challenges us to anticipate suffering as an indispensable ingredient of obedience to Christ. If we never suffer for our faith, we probably need to consider how we are taking up our cross daily. Do we avoid standing up for Christ out of fear or out of apathy? Our message needs to be clear. Our message needs to be compelling. Our message needs to be Christ. A silent or watered-down gospel 
is a powerless gospel. Like Peter, we need to be filled with the Spirit and speak with boldness and courage when the opportunity presents itself. Peter and John spoke with boldness, the boldness of Jesus. They performed miracles like Jesus. They knew the Scriptures like Jesus. The courage of Peter and John was impressive to the Sanhedrin. These were everyday, ordinary, unschooled men who were behaving and uh, acting and speaking with an authority that extended well beyond their social standing and any expectations others would have had of them. I think it's true that we tend to become a lot like those whom we hang around. And it was obvious and evident who these apostles had been hanging around. They had been spending time with Jesus. Those with whom you and I live and work will see if we have truly been with Jesus. They are looking to see if we truly walk the talk. Is our faith recognisable to others? Does it make a difference to the way we live our lives? Does our faith make a difference to the way we respond to various circumstances? Does our faith make a difference to the way we speak to one another? How we treat others? It is interesting to compare this account with the account where Jesus stands before the Sanhedrin in Matthew 26, 57 to 58. In this occasion, it's Jesus on trial and Peter's in the background as opposed to Peter being on trial. Verse 57, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now this is the scene where Peter goes on to deny Christ three times. When Peter followed Jesus from a distance and sought comfort over courage, he ended up making a huge mistake that he would come to regret for the rest of his life. When we follow Jesus from a distance, we place ourselves in danger of doing or saying things that are totally inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Christ. We make excuses and justify whatever we want to satisfy our conscience. But like Peter, we can end up making decisions that we will later on regret. When Peter followed Jesus from a, diff, a distance, he made no difference to those around him. He avoided persecution, yes, but at what cost? In comparison, when Peter was following Jesus up 
close and no longer concerned with the opinions of others. Consider how effective his ministry was. A 40-year-old man born lame had been completely healed. And as a result of his spirit-filled preaching at Pentecost and now at the temple, 5,000 men have come to faith. The difference between following Jesus from a distance and following Jesus up close and personal. It was obvious that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And herein lies the most important prerequisite for all Christian ministry. Your proximity to Jesus. Do you spend regular time with the Master, learning from Him, listening to His Word, going out on mission to serve others with Him? What is your proximity to Jesus? Finally, because the apostles had close proximity to Jesus and were filled with the Holy Spirit, they were able to exercise incredible boldness. No human authority was going to prevent them to speaking about all that they had seen and heard. Peter has graduated from fearing what people might think of him when he admits that he is a follower of Jesus. His allegiance is firmly with Christ. And his number one priority now is to share the life-changing message of Jesus with as many people and in as many ways and opportunities as he can. Peter, the disciple who once cowered in the face of persecution, is now Peter the apostle standing with resolve, with faith, and with passion before his accusers. The resurrected Jesus has given Peter courage, has given Peter faith, and the Holy Spirit has given Peter boldness to declare the full message of Christ. Live, died, rised, sins forgiven, New life available, eternal life guaranteed. My friends, the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for all. It was good news then, it is good news today. Men and women of God, may our good works give rise to our good words. May the gospel message we profess be uncluttered, clear, convicting, and compelling. May we not avoid suffering for the sake of the gospel, but rather may we embrace opportunities to stand up for Christ and be counted as His. May we keep close proximity to Jesus ministering through the power of the Holy Spirit that people could say of us, he or she has been with Jesus. And may we 
in the face of opposition for Jesus, boldly and courageously refuse to stop speaking about all that we have seen and heard. Amen.
How can I ever say no? 